Live. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Welcome back. This is Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett of TruthJihad.com, where you can go to subscribe by way of the Patreon button. Okay, well, in the first hour, Jim Petzer tried to convince Sterling Harwood uh, with mixed success that we shouldn't confuse Paul McCartney, whose birthday it is today, with his replacement lookalike genius songwriting left-handed bass player, Paul McCartney. I'm not so sure about that, but I think I do agree with our second-hour guest, Gijin Palya, who says that we shouldn't confuse the genocidal invading Zionist settler colonist aggressors with the self-defense group Hamas. And so when Ilhan Omar uh, was raked over the coals for comparing the uh, alleged crimes of Hamas and the alleged crimes of Israel, uh, that in fact all of the criticism she got in the United States got it exactly backwards, that, you know, they all said, that it was a slur on Israel to compare it to the evil terrorist group Hamas, when in fact the truth is that it's a slur on Hamas to compare the courageous uh, self-defense-oriented Palestinian resistance forces with the genocidal Zionist aggressors. And I think Gijin Palya has a good point, as heretical as it may be, so let's hear him out. Hey, welcome, Gijin Palya. How are you? I'm pretty good. Hi, Hi, Kevin. Good to have you back. So we have a, a serious topic now. We, we The first hour, maybe it's serious, maybe it's not. We were talking about that uh, theory that Paul McCartney was replaced with a, a lookalike, and it got very, uh, very excited. And frankly, that question, you know, the way I look at so-called conspiracy theories and other um, outside the mainstream information is I ask how true is this or how likely is this to be true, and I give that a rating, let's say, on a 1 to 10 scale, and then I would multiply that by how important would it be if it were true. And so with Paul McCartney being replaced, I'm not sure how super important that would be and how likely is it to be true. Well, I'm not really sure how likely it is. So that, to me, scores pretty low. However, uh, when we get into what's really going on in occupied Palestine, the truth is obviously diametrically opposed to the mainstream narrative, and that's pretty important because of, well, uh, all sorts of reasons, uh, such as leading us on into regional conflict in World War III, uh, millions of people being killed in wars for Zionism and Western colonialism and so on and so forth. So I, I do think we're moving to a more important and serious topic in a certain sense here. Uh, so, so you just wrote about this, and... You know, you, you and Hamas itself are the only sources I've seen who are saying this, that Ilhan Omer actually uh, basically libeled Hamas by comparing them to Israel. Uh, so go ahead and sketch out your argument there. Well, uh, a, a, a spokesman for Hamas has, as you correctly say, has said, how, how dare Ilhan, and she's, she's very, very respectable in supporting the Palestinian cause, but how dare she compare the noble Hamas uh, uh, with the in, 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 with, with with America and 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 with the Israeli invaders? And uh, Ali Abuminar, who's an editor of Electronic Intifada, uh, which supports the Palestinian cause, has essentially said the same thing. But the the extraordinary thing 
is that poor Ilhan Omar, with the best of attentions, intentions, has got attacked from both sides, <laughs> as, you, as you pointed out. The, uh, she, maybe she, she must be doing something right then. Exactly, exactly. If everyone's against you, like me, for example, uh, I must be doing something right. And uh, the, uh, of course, most extraordinarily, in the end, given given the hysteria in response to her quite unexceptional comments, all she said was, "All everyone should be subject to international law and the International Criminal Court." Unexceptional proposition for sensible, decent people. And then she went on to say that America and Hamas and the Taliban and Israel and the Afghans have committed crimes. Again, indubitably true, except there's a huge difference in scale. Right, right, but they, yeah, right, the scale. But, yeah, so uh, my Uncle Bill uh, tore a tag off a mattress and, and did some jaywalking in his youth, and, uh, you know, Charles Manson did a lot worse than that. And so comparing Uncle Bill to Charles Manson, yeah, they both committed crimes, but... Well, there's a, there's a, there's a interesting thing that, um, Americans really should know about. And, and, and that is the, the murder rate in Israel, the homicide rate is actually very low. It's about, it's about, um, 15 murders per million of population, uh, per year. And it's very similar in the United Kingdom and in Australia, where we, where people in general can't wander around with guns. In the United States, it's about 50 on average. And in Detroit, Michigan, <laughs> it's about 500. <laughs> so now seen in this context, in, in Israel, each month on average, you do the math, it turns out that Israelis murder about a dozen fellow Israelis each month. But in the recent bloodshed in, 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 in Palestine, in response to a dozen Israelis being killed by, uh, by Gaza rockets, the Israeli Air Force bombed the Gaza concentration camp, one of the most densely populated spots on the earth, killing about 260 Palestinians, wounding 2,000, evicting 80,000 people from their homes, causing 9,000 to be permanently homeless. And this huge, utterly disproportionate reaction to, in the end, a dozen Israelis being killed, killed, killed by rockets. Now, if, you, if, if, if all men are created, as Thomas Jefferson greatly told us, then perhaps the Israeli Air Force should have been bombing the working class suburbs of Tel Aviv and Haifa, where one assumes, from my upper middle class prejudice, most of the homicides would have occurred. Or alternatively, in the United States, uh, with 500 um, homicides per million of population in Detroit, Michigan, as opposed to the American average of 10 times fewer, Perhaps the United States Air Force should have been reducing Detroit, Michigan to back to the Stone Age for the crime of murdering fellow Americans. I mean, it, it gets to the point where, where, uh, you are almost rendered speechless. However, George Orwell in 1980, in his novel 1984, 
put it very succinctly because Big Brother said war is peace, uh, ignorance is strength, uh, slavery is freedom, and two plus two does not equal four. But I know from memory, when I was six years old, two of the first things that were, 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 were taught to me, um, uh, one of the first things was the two times table and the three times table. And, and one of the first things we were taught that two plus two does equal four. And furthermore, we were, we, we were taught when we're learning to, to read and write. One of the first things we were told, the cat sat on the mat. But of course, the whole Western world, not just America, but the whole of the Western world, uh, accepts the proposition that two plus two does not equal four and rejects, rejects the beauty and elegance of the English language when it states the fact, the indubitable fact that the cat sat on the mat. This is. Crazy. Wait, wait a minute. There, there aren't, there aren't like cat. Cat sitting on mat deniers out there, are there? <laughs> yes, well, that's effectively what the American political system does, and what poor Ilan uh, uh, Omar has 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 dramatized that everybody is against her. Everyone is against the proposition that two plus two equals four, and against the the, the bold statement of reality, i.e., the cat sat on the mat. Well, let, 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 let me challenge that briefly because uh, I, I see your point. And actually, in terms of the yes, her, her statement is true. She ta- she says unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. Well, yeah, I suppose. Uh, although I've, Hamas, I'm not sure how many atrocities I've seen that were unthinkable coming from Hamas. To me, it's pretty thinkable that if you are invaded by people from across the seas who are murdering and expelling you from your your land and you suffer what the Palestinians have suffered, firing some rockets at your tormentors after they try to uh, ethnically cleanse the world's biggest holy site uh, and, and do provocative attacks on that, and, and you fire these rockets as a gesture of self-defense, to me, that's not really the same level of unthinkable atrocity as the American drones blowing wedding parties to smithereens, uh, the Israelis raining down white phosphorus on civilians and uh, 90% of their population supporting it and going on hilltops to have barbecues and cheer as the white phosphorus is burning the Palestinians. To me, there's a huge difference in scale. And so to, I, I would argue, along with Hamas, that Elhan Omar is engaging in this very common sin of analysis of the Israel-Palestine situation, which is the sin of equi- false equivalence. You know, every a lot of people I respect do that. Rabbi Michael Lerner does that all the time. And I've had him on the show, and I, you know, he's contributed to my book and so on. Uh, but I've really gotten on his case for constantly portraying it as if these two sides are somehow uh, more or less equivalent. And they're not equivalent. One side is the criminal aggressor and the other side is the valiant defender. And so, yeah, maybe somebody on the valiant defender side actually did a war crime. Whenever there's war, somebody's probably going to commit a war crime. But that doesn't mean they're equivalent. And the way Ilhan Omar phrased her tweet, it made it sound equivalent. Well, Ilhan Omar, uh, interestingly enough, 
faced with this this uh, comprehensive attack from both Republicans and Democrats and the national outcry has, of course, retracted what she said. She has said that, oh, look, I, I, I by no means did I did I want to compare uh, terrorist organizations with uh, democratic countries like the United States and Israel. And all the more reason to criticize her. So she's worse than engaging in the crime of false equivalence. She's actually portraying the victims as the aggressors. For sure. Now, now you've termed, you've used the expression uh, moral non-equivalence. If you, if, if your listeners Google the phrase moral non-equivalence, well, if I, if I Google that phrase in Australia, moral non-equivalence, you'll get about half a million hits. And my detailed article on the Ilhan Omar matter comes up as number one on page one. Congratulations. So, they, they haven't banned you yet. <laughs> no. So I, I, I was very, I, I was very pleased with this. But the trouble is that given this comprehensive lying about whether the cat sat on the mat, et cetera, or whether two plus two equals four, this comprehensive lying means that things go from bad to worse. So now we hear that the Israeli Air Force has started bombing Gaza again. And why are they bombing it now? Not not for rockets, but for inflammable balloons. These are non-lethal, <laughs> non-lethal balloons. And but nevertheless, it it offends it offends the Israeli perception that we are number one in the world or the universe. And anyone that sends, in, 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 if you send inflammable balloons uh, into our territory, we will bomb you with high explosives. Well, wait a minute. Can't the Iron Dome defend against balloons? If not, maybe they could get out some shotguns. Uh, I, I think it's not that hard to shoot down balloons that are blown in by the wind. And this is ridiculous. Of course it's ridiculous. So what I've done, as, a, as, as I, I, should, I, I should really tell your listeners that, that I... Well, I'm, I'm very lucky. I live in a lovely country, Australia. I look outside my window. It, it's winter, beautiful, warm, warm blue skies. Birds are singing. Lovely, peaceful, internally peaceful uh, society. Um, okay, I, you just talked to me into emigrating. <laughs> how can I get my ticket? <laughs> how, how, however, um, that's not to say Australia actually has a very, very bad record. Um, uh, uh, possibly even worse than that of Israel overseas of, of covertly trying to overthrow governments like in Chile and in Cambodia, uh, and in Indonesia and, and so on and engaging in it. We've, we've participated in, in all post 1950 American Asian wars, which are atrocities that have killed about 40 million people through violence or through war imposed, uh, deprivation. But I'm very lucky living in this wonderful, prosperous, internally peaceful society. And so I wouldn't. And furthermore, I would say I'm personally, I, I, I don't have a religious faith. However, I, I really appreciate that billions of people do get great comfort and support from religious faith in the same way that I get comfort and support from music or art, literature, poetry, things that really are also rather very difficult to define. 
Well, I, I and, would add that there's actually not there's knowledge available in those areas too, but that's another philosophical debate we can have later. Oh yes, for sure. But 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 and and furthermore, I am absolutely I'm a Gandhian. I'm totally opposed to violence and war. But having said that, I recognise that under international law, indigenous people have the right to defend themselves from foreign invaders. However, given the wonderful circumstances in which I'm so privileged to live down here, down under, I wouldn't dream. It would be utter impertinence of me to tell the Taliban or the Hamas how they should go about uh, defending their, 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 their country that their people have lived in for thousands of years from foreign invaders from the other side of the world. So it would be great impertinence for me to, to, to offer that, offer that suggestion. However, what I have done, because I have a scientific background, I, I have analyzed 30 areas in which, serious areas in which I can compare Hamas, Taliban, the United States and Israel. And I, 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 essentially, when you do this analysis, these are serious matters about relating to war, invasion, um, threat to world peace, um, uh, war crimes, so on and so forth. And when you do this analysis in these 30 situations, Hamas and Taliban score zero. They're negligible. They are no threat to the rest of the world. They, they have a negligible contribution, whereas, unfortunately, the United States and apartheid Israel are world leaders in these areas. I could perhaps just list a couple of them. For example, nuclear weapons possession, Hamas zero, Taliban zero, U.S. up to about 7,500, apartheid Israel 90 to 400. And on you go. Hamas and Taliban will have virtually negligible or zero contribution. But you can, some of the propositions are countries with territory invaded by these countries. Countries with territory presently illegally occupied by these people. Again, Hamas and Taliban zero. United States and, and, and Israel, uh, a significant number. Countries presently being attacked by the forces of Hamas, zero, Taliban, zero, US, seven, apartheid Israel, four. Um, you could, I, I can go on. There's a whole range of, there's a total of about 30, 30 of these really serious propositions in which, unfortunately, America, which is a country that so many people, including myself, greatly admire, scores very badly, one of the worst perpetrators, and Israel also is one of the worst perpetrators. But Hamas and Taliban, for all their very well-publicized deficiencies, for example, the Taliban objection to female education and so on, uh, they score essentially zero or negligible. So that's the reality. And so again, and as I repeat, I can sum it up. Does two plus two equal four <laughs> or doesn't it? And that's that's the proposition, unfortunately, that the the um, Zionist dominated Western mainstream media would have us believe. 
So you can see these things, Gideon, because you're, well, you're, you're unusually honest in your outlook and you're a professional scientist. And so you're trained to try to sift through the uh, smoke screen and look at the reality and quantify it if possible. And so that's all well and good. But it, it seems to me that what you're saying here, as accurate as it undoubtedly is, is so heretical that it's uh, it's almost unthinkable for people living in the world of mainstream opinion in countries like the U.S. and Australia and other Western countries to, to even entertain these simple, straightforward thoughts, this, uh, this two plus two equal four in George Orwell's terminology. And I think part of the reason for that is that we've been inculcated, or at least the majority of people have been inculcated with a kind of a uh, a binarism in which the there's the white hats and the black hats, the good guys and the bad guys, as George Bush said after 9-11, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And I used to use that as a false dichotomy in teaching uh, fallacies in, in classes on critical thinking and rhetoric. Okay. A, a false dichotomy is, is, you know, putting things as you e- you're either this or you're that when it's just not true. You don't have to be with Bush. You don't have to be with any particular terrorist. And, of course, what makes it even more outrageous is that Bush is representing the terrorists. You know, Bush is with the people who blew up the Trade Center uh, in a controlled demolition. Uh, but uh, people have had their brains turned to mush from this kind of propaganda. And so when they hear Hamas, they hear Taliban like Pavlov's drug, they, they, they just drool. And to them, these are evil terrorists. They hear U.S. or Israel. They hear, well, these are democracies, perhaps flawed, but basically good guys and democracies. And, and so that's the paradigm that's been, as you say, it's 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 uh, two plus two make five. It's completely insane. It has nothing to do with reality. But that paradigm is so strong that even such a supposed rebel as Ilhan Omar ends up retreating from her tweet equating these inoffensive, uh, uh, actually in some ways heroic groups, Hamas and the Taliban, with, with uh, these genocidal, uh, war, massive war criminal entities, uh, U.S. and apartheid Israel, and then she retreats from even equating them, and then basically says that, oh, of course, I, they're terrorists, and, and we're democracies. Uh, so if even like the most supposedly radical, anti-Zionist, uh, anti-American member of Congress thinks that way, uh, that just goes to show that the brainwashing is nearly complete. So how, how do we go about prying open the minds of ordinary people to uh, let in a little bit of fresh air and sunlight of reality on these matters? Well, Lord Kelvin is is commonly regarded as the father of thermodynamics and hence the, the father of the Industrial Revolution that over the last two centuries is uh, led by America has absolutely transformed our lives in a, in a technological sense. And he's very famous for saying, if you're going to have a argument about anything, you're going to have a discussion about anything, it's very useful to put it in numerical terms, to put, put it in the numbers. Unfortunately, politicians and journalists and, 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 and lobbyists and all the rest of us, um, um, uh, avoid the numbers and they go in for high flown language and rhetoric. And that's, that's the fundamental flaw. Like here, here, here's another choice example, Kevin. Um, um, 
my proposition number 19 was support for licit and illicit drug use. Um, remembering that um, uh, these these drugs cause 11 million deaths annually. Smoking kills 8 million, alcohol 3 and illicit drugs 0.2 million. So when we consider Hamas, um, it's not involved in drugs. The Taliban uh, is, is even better because by 2001, prior to the American invasion, the Taliban had had abolished smoking, abolished drinking, alcohol, and also uh, wiped out most of the Afghan opium industry. <laughs> so Taliban is the, in terms of this this huge holocaust of 11 million people annually, the Taliban actually is the number one country in the world for doing anything about it. And Iran, who everyone hates as well, is the world leader in interdiction of Afghan opiates uh, to Europe and the rest of the world. So, and Israel, of course, has had, 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 has a very bad record of being involved in organized crime. And I'm not sure about the position today, but a few years ago was a world leader in, in, in the trade in ecstasy. So again, you sort of have a, uh, again, your, the propaganda tells us to turn the truth, truth on its head. I mean, another very good example. To, to measure the evil of people. I mean, there is, sta- there is non-state terror- terrorism. So, for example, uh, jihadi, um, etc., might be considered to be non-state terrorists. And then you have state terrorism. That is the conventional uh, countries in the world that have navies and air forces and nuclear weapons and all the rest of it. So one, one, one thing you could do in comparing Hamas and the Taliban with the United States and Israel is say, well, how many people have they killed this century? Simple Lord Kelvin type proposition. Well, Hamas, its rockets kill very few people. They've killed about 40 people in 20 years. So Hamas has, has killed about maybe, let's say, a thousand people. The Taliban, uh, has has been fighting the U.S. alliance, um, but presumably has been through its bombings and things like that has also been killing innocent civilians. So we'll give them 10,000. But it's estimated that the United States this century so far has killed about 32 million Muslims in from through violence, about 5 million, or through war-imposed deprivation, about 27 million, in 20 countries invaded by the United States since the United States government false flag atrocity of 9-11 that killed about 3,000 people. So if you're a Lord Kelvin-inspired person from Andromeda, from outer space, I imagine myself as a visitor, an alien visitor to, 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 to planet Earth from outer space, and I follow Lord Kelvin's um, uh, recommendation. In, in terms of numbers, you know, Hamas a thousand, Taliban ten thousand, United States thirty-two million, apartheid Israel has killed through violence and mostly through imposed deprivation, um, uh, uh, something like a uh, hundred thousand Palestinians uh, in the last two decades. There is absolutely no no comparisons. 
between the between the state terrorists versus what the state terrorists call the non-state terrorists. So listen to the numbers. Right. And, and of course, the uh, excuse given for the state terrorists is some combination of you know, Hobbes and Machiavelli and, you know, Leo Strauss reaches back through the Western philosophical tradition to reread uh, Plato. And, and so these neoconservatives who've made a sort of amalgamation of this line of thought and introduced their own warped uh, reading of Nietzsche as well would argue that, well, this is just the way things are, for one thing. We, the superior people, have the right and the duty, indeed, to uh, basically do whatever the heck we want, which ultimately involves manipulating the masses with the shadow play on the walls of Plato's cave and doing so for our own aggrandizement, but also for, you know, for keeping the city safe from enemies, foreign and domestic. And to do that, we have to do all kinds of nasty killing and lying and subterfuge and crimes and immoral acts and sins. Um, and of course, some of the neocons like Michael Ledine have done work on Machiavelli, uh, lauding Machiavelli for recognizing that the prince or the statesman who's responsible for protecting the city against enemies, foreign and domestic, often will have to do these terrible immoral things to defend their city. And that if they didn't do that, the city would go down in flames and another city might take it over or what have you. So anyway, they have this this kind of philosophy that uh, essentially argues that human nature being what it is, that people are very quarrelsome and violent. And uh, some of them cite anthropologists talking about historical murder rates in stateless societies. And so they end up arguing that as murderous as the state is, that Thomas Hobbes was right, that the Leviathan state, by terrorizing all the ordinary people and committing a lot of horrific crimes and murders and so on and lies, uh, it, it actually makes things better than it would be without it because it imposes a kind of a, a peace, uh, a peace of which involves a lot of dead bodies, but it's still a form of peace. And then people can live in relative peace and prosperity under uh, this Leviathan state run by neocon psychopaths who give to themselves the right to commit all manner of crimes. So that's the sort of argument that you get supporting the crimes of the state. And they would argue that in Afghanistan, for example, all of these deaths happening in Afghanistan are happening precisely because there is no strong state controlling that territory. And that in the long run, imposing a strong state, no matter how many people you have to kill to do it, will create a peaceful Afghanistan. So, so we're interested in your, your kind of uh, thoughts on, on that neocon argument. Well, I'd respond in various levels. Uh, human beings, we, we know from our cousins, the, the chimpanzees, will do quite awful things. So a, a mob of young, young chimpanzee men encountering a stranger in the forest will, I've read, will tear off his arms and legs and leave him screaming in the forest to be eaten alive by whoever comes along. Now we, we have 98% genetic identity with, with the chimpanzees. So I figure that within ourselves, within ourselves, our capacity to do awful things, which of course human history, uh, well attests to. However, we have, have our behavior has evolved 
through genes at the genetic level, through mutation at the DNA level and selection of, 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 of favorable genes and so on. So we've had selection of genes, but our behavior has also evolved through what, what Richard Dawkins has described as memes and which are basically societally selected, um, uh, advantageous, uh, uh behaviors. And of course, an outstanding example of, 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 of such a meme that has been selected for in our societies is love thy neighbor as thyself. I say I'm not religious, but I absolutely love Jesus for the, the sheer humanity and kindness and goodness and love that he was promulgating, of, of which this, of course, is the most famous, love thy neighbor as thyself. So our memes, we can overcome, we can override, let's say, the chimpanzee within us. So, so that's, that, that's the argument at that level. However, at a political level, uh, there is a wonderful, very famous anti-racist Jewish philosopher, Hannah Arendt. And, and she, she analyzed European colonialism right up to the, and including the Nazi era. And she said these abominable acts of, of invasion and genocide from European colonialism and slavery all the way up to the Nazi era, uh, she simply described in just a few words as the uh, essentially the alliance of the mob and capital. Big business, the wealthy um, had 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 the money and the media and the persuasion. And they were able to persuade the mob, the ordinary poor people, to, to put on uniforms and go out in the world and do the slavery, do the invasions, do the genocide, do the mass murder, do the industrial mass murder. So she, 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 she got it, got it in one. But unfortunately, uh, for all that we live in wonderful, prosperous, free societies, um, and, 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 and unfortunately, um, that that freedom is is horribly abused. And so, uh, in, in the United States, um, capital, big capital, can convince the mob very readily, as we 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 see in this instance, and in umpteen elections and 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 so on. So, it's uh, I suppose it's just it's just up to people who love their fellow man to just quietly and endlessly repeat uh, that we don't have to do it this way. It's the message we're all given at the age of five or six in, in primary school. So if children can understand this, how come, how come grown-ups can't? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you talk about you know, memes, uh, so and you're citing Jesus saying, "Love thy neighbor as thyself" as a meme, uh, and it seems that the Holocaust has unleashed quite a few memes as well. It itself, of course, is a kind of a meme, and the Holocaust has become the sacred narrative uh, that legitimizes the state of Israel, and that has been bought into not just by the Jewish community, which is so influential in the Western countries 
but uh, the whole Western culture to a certain extent has bought into that. And uh, I'm wondering if you could reflect on that uh, interesting sort of uh, opposition between this never again kind of meme coming out of the uh, narrative of the Holocaust. Of course, the narrative and, and the reality of what happened historically uh, may be not entirely the same. But in any case, there's that sacred narrative. Uh, and that sacred narrative has been used not so much to try to stop the kinds of crimes committed uh, in the Holocaust and elsewhere in World War II, but actually to legitimize them. Uh, in fact, it's almost Zionism in many ways seems to be a, almost a mirror image of, of Nazism with uh, the Lebensraum and the ethnic nationalism and the chosenness or the, uh, the, the kind of racial uh, equivalence of you know, the, the higher race, the master race and so on. At, at all these different levels, there's, there's that parallel and the, the demonization of the other, uh, and the, the, the kind of, you know, endless, uh, the, the war crimes that are justified by conscious or unconscious racism. In so many ways, there's, there's so many similarities. Uh, so maybe you, re, you know, reflect a little bit on that, how the sacred narrative of the Holocaust is driving a kind of a, a new Holocaust in Palestine. Well, as, as, as very cogently described and analyzed by Professor Norman Finkelstein, who is a child of Holocaust survivors, um, the Holocaust has been exploited by apartheid Israel for its, its, its own, its own purposes. But there is a large body of anti-racist Jewish humanitarians around the world, of which I am one. And and we say that the Holocaust message of never again means never again to anyone. So a very, for example, a very um, well-known uh, Canadian anti-racist Jewish Canadian writer is Naomi Klein, who is a very cogent criticism of climate change in action, and of course uh, of other other expressions of evil from neoliberalism. And she, uh, I can I can almost quote her quote from from um, uh, word for word. But she said there, there is a there is a, um, um, uh, uh, an opinion among Jewish people. And by the way, she says, I'm I'm Jewish myself, that that um, we we get, we have one genocide free card. But she says for myself. I don't, you know, I am absolutely, totally opposed uh, to genocide. Moshe um, Menuhin was a was an Orthodox Jewish scholar and was the father of Yehudi Menuhin, this wonderful um, anti-racist, anti-Zionist um, uh, musician. And great... you know, I've, I've had his son uh, uh, Gerard Menuhin on the show a few times. He's a very uh, interesting guy and extreme. You know, he's even further outside the mainstream than you are. He he is uh, he's basically a decent human being, for goodness sakes, and a great universalist. Um, he wouldn't tear off the arms and legs of, of his fellow creature and leave them to die in the jungle. And anyway, Moshi, Moshi uh, Menuhin, his father, said Jews should be Jews, not Nazis. And my personal opinion is that based on the actual statements 
of Israeli leaders uh, from the time of, of Theodore Herzl in the 19th century right up to Netanyahu, virtually all of them have been saying one way or the other that they are committed to getting rid of the Palestinians. And quite explicitly, they're quite happy to state this in public and even at, even at the present time. And so my position is that, that Zionism is, is genocidal racism and it is effectively Nazism without gas, gas chambers, but with 90 to 400 nuclear weapons. That's, that's very hard stuff to say, but that's the reality. And because Jewish people remember the Holocaust and they say never again to anyone, that possibly explains why Jewish people are really predominant among critics of apartheid Israel and its ongoing Palestinian genocide, because it's, it's inconceivable to us that Jewish people would do to anyone else what the Nazis did to them. I'll tell you an interesting story. I have a Palestinian friend. She's a very, very nice, earnest, vigorous, kind, good woman. And she told me the story of her grandfather. And when the, when the uh, Jewish terrorists came, the Irgun, to their village in, 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 in Galilee, they said, get out or we'll, we'll shoot you. They all left except for her grandfather. Her grandfather said, look, this is my home. This is my village. I'm not leaving. So they shot him. And I really, really uh, was moved by her personal story. And I told her the story of my grandfather. He was a very eminent surgeon. He was in charge of Hungary's biggest hospital. In in the late 1930s, he was visiting the United States. He was made a, a member of the American College of Surgeons. And they said, you have take your pick of any chair, any professorship at any medical school in America. Come and stay with us. Don't go back. Don't go back. But my grandfather said, look, I'm an important person. I'm known throughout the world. I had a top hospital in World War One. I. I saved the lives through my surgery. He was famous for his sterile surgery. I saved the lives of 10,000 fellow Hungarians. So I'm not going to leave. Well, he was almost right. The Nazis caught him about a week before the Russians liberated Budapest and killed him. So I really empathized this story of two grandfathers who wouldn't leave really empathized with my with my Palestinian friend. Well, that's uh, I, I can very much uh, relate to that, actually, not that I've actually faced uh, the uh, the killers or anything like that. Oh, I've gotten my share of death threats, but I, I can relate to not wanting to be driven out of your own land. And that's how I felt here really ever since I woke up to 9-11 in late 2003 and uh, we, my family has a number of times considered leaving the United States, which in many ways doesn't feel like a, a very congenial place anymore. But uh, part of me is very attached to this place. I'm living on land that my grandmother bought in uh, 1950 or so and planted trees on some neighboring land. I guess there were already little trees on that land, and now they're big, you know, 100-foot-tall pine trees 
And I kind of hate to let the bad guys drive me out of my own land. So I don't mean to put myself in the same place as as these people who were murdered for staying on their land. And thank God it hasn't reached that point here yet. But I can certainly understand how they might feel that, you know, if, if, if you're living someplace where really bad things are happening, you do have that choice to leave. And in the Quran, it does say that, you know, God's earth is wide. It's wasia. And so that you can make hijra. You can, you can leave where they're about to kill you as the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, left Mecca when the oligarchs were about to kill him. You can always emigrate to a good, a better place. And that's a, a meritorious act. At the same time, uh, not wanting to be driven out and feeling like you have a home means something too. And I'm sure the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, probably uh, the reason he didn't leave for uh, more than a decade, and even when he was under serious persecution, was that he felt that way himself, as we all feel attached to our homes. So it really is tragic when people are uh, driven out of their homes by force. This is one of the things, by the way, Gideon, that bothers me about sort of the alt-right, you know, neo-racialist movement in the United States. Now, the thought in that strain, uh, that political strain, some of it I, I understand and even can relate to, and I think they're right about certain things, including the overreach on the identity politics left. But the idea of these white nationalists that the United States would be better off if all the non-white people somehow were made to disappear is a pretty uh, dangerous and stupid idea because how can such a thing even, how can you imagine such a thing could happen and it would make anything better? It's ridiculous. You know, you would have huge numbers of people being forced to leave their land and they wouldn't want to go and some of them would fight to stay and it would be really ugly. Uh, so, yeah, people should not be driven out of their land. Well, in Australia, we're very conscious of this. Uh, we had an indigenous population way back in the 18th century, maybe a million people. Um, when the, the British invaded in 1788, within a century, from a million, it had been reduced to 100,000 through massacres, but mainly through introduced disease and deprivation. And indeed, we didn't even count these people as human beings until a referendum in 1967. That's only 53 years ago. We have a referendum in which Australians overwhelmingly said, we will recognize, we will actually count the indigenous people as fellow Australians. And, uh, uh, so, and since then, Slowly and surely, attitudes to the indigenous people has, 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 has improved. So in many cases, if you attend a public meeting in Australia, the, the speaker or the MC will get up and the first thing they say, we, we wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, who in my case are the Wurundjeri people. There were hundreds and hundreds of different civilizations in Australia, my local group are the Wurundjeri, of whom almost no, none exist, um, and they say, and we pay our respects to the to the elders, past and present. Uh, and the indigenous Australians 
have great sympathy for the Palestinians who have been removed from their land that the Palestinians have continuously occupied Palestine right back to the very beginnings of the agrarian revolution. In Australia, our indigenous people say we are the oldest continuous civilization in the world. It dates back to 65,000 years. So there is a, there is a great um, sympathy among a whole lot of good people, not the, maybe a majority of people, I think, or maybe 70% of Australians would think this way and be respectful um, uh, to the Indigenous people. However, um, unfortunately, um, un, un, unopposed racism uh, just, just takes over simple minds. So, for example, Winston Churchill commented on Palestine and North America. And this is in about 1950. And Winston Churchill, who is our hero for World War II, etc., said, well, unfortunately, uh, as in, in North America with the Red Indians and in Palestine with the Arabs, um, uh, unfortunately, a, a, a superior race has has fortunately eliminated these people <laughs> to create a, a better society, or words, words to this effect. Absolutely appalling stuff, which, however, has a lot of currency in the United States. Yeah, it's, it's uh, creative destruction. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it's absolutely unacceptable. In, in Australia, um, we at least have got to the point where politicians are unable to make statements like that. They would be, they would be virtually thrown out of parliament. Uh, for making statements like that. Um, and we indeed have, have a, a, a federal um, anti-racist law that prevents sort of egregious, egregious invitations to genocide such as that. Right. Uh, so uh, I, I, what, I wonder what you think about the future right now of occupied Palestine now that the Netanyahu era may finally be over. Do you see anything changing there? No, 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 not, not from the Israeli side, but I, I tell my Palestinian friends, I have a few Palestinian friends who of course have just carried this burden of trauma and distress about their own dislocation and the maltreatment of their relatives. But I say to them, and some of them agree, that there, there is now grounds for optimism. There is an di- international diaspora of about 8 million Palestinians, many in the United States, some in Australia. Um, and there, and of course, most unfortunately, living in utter poverty in refugee camps. But I think the world is changing. America, Canada, NATO, the United Kingdom, Australia, all of these governments, very warlike governments, uh, are fervent supporters of Israel. But I think popular sentiment of just ordinary, decent people who have the empathy to put themselves in the shoes of other people, there's just a growing sentiment that that is, that it, that it's utterly wrong. And the numbers, especially like in the most recent massacre, 260 in response to 12. Um, goodness knows how many killed in the last few days in response to balloons, for goodness sake. 
um, pe people just feel this that this is utterly wrong, and they're beginning be beginning to reject the 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 the, the propaganda. I'll, I'll give you a, a very interesting example, if I may. Uh, we had a, a Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, like your State Department, and they held an inquiry into um, should we expand our trade with Israel, and they invited submissions from the public. Well, I sent them a 225,000-word, uh, 235-reference <laughs> submission, which said, in short, that we should have zero trade with an apartheid Israel that violates 15 international laws and conventions. Uh, anyway, they didn't publish my submission. So I wrote to thousands of people around the world complaining about this and to members of parliament. Nothing happened. Finally, as a last resort, I wrote to a range of the top people in our foreign affairs department, career diplomats and, and, and so on, with the national interest at heart. And on the same day, there was finally action. And today I went to their website and my huge submission, which was an excoriation, documented excoriation of the immense crimes of apartheid Israel, not just against the Palestinians, but against the West in countries like Australia, was finally published. So there are good, decent, morally responsive people all over the place. And it really, you have to have faith from good people uh, in, in the goodness of humanity. I mean, I'm a great reader of literature. Half the literature I read is, is basically British or Australian based. The other half is American based. So a whole lot of my humanitarian values have been based upon what the greatest writers and thinkers and leaders in America have said. And in that sense, I, I just have great confidence that this horrible abuse cannot continue. There's just, just a huge body of decency in America, other countries of the West, and in humanity as a whole that is, that is going to say no more, no more. Amen. Well, let, let's hope that the basically decent people out there will become better informed because I think that's a bigger problem really than the, than indecency is the fact that that majority of basically decent people isn't getting accurate and balanced information. And your work is certainly a valiant effort to correct some of that. Uh, you're speaking out on this Ilhan Omar uh, comparison of you know, Israel and Palestine in the U.S. is, is a good example of, of challenging the popular uh, misconceptions and uh, popular myths that get everything exactly wrong. I think if people start getting a more accurate reflection of what's really going on, then that uh, basic goodness will actually help to change things. Well, thank you so much, Gijin Palia. I always enjoy talking with you. Keep up the uh, amazing work. God bless and look forward to talking again. Thanks very much. Okay, take care. Gijin Palia. Kevin Derrick, fruitsyhow.com is the website. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio.